All right. Why don't you open to the book of Amos, chapter 7, please. Amos chapter 7, the entire chapter, verse 1 through 17, and the message entitled, uh, People God Uses. The church is under great attack today. Some people don't understand this, both from without and from within. The most dangerous is the one from within, those who are watering down and corrupting the word of God. And you don't have to look too far to see that. The emergent church movement with its uh, postmodern social gospel has infiltrated Christian schools, universities under the title of spiritual formation, using marketing business techniques and demographics for the new paradigm for church growth, which started here with Fuller Seminary with McGavern and, uh, and, and others. And um, the seeker-friendly church of uh, Willow Creek in Chicago and the Saddleback of Orange County with Rick Warren are the stepping stones and springboard to the emergent church, by the way. Um, churches have become organizations uh, uh, managed as corporations rather than seeing the church as an organism, the bride, and the body of Christ. The book Listening to the beliefs of emerging churches, five perspectives, for example, contains probably a dozen references to joys of, of drinking. The joys of drinking. They, they, they like it. Um, the contributors are Karen Ward, Mark Driscoll, John Berg, Dan Kimball, Doug Patchett, all those emerging people. And um, they meet in, in bars and taverns for theological discussions. They exchange beer-making techniques. They get great theology in the bars, you know what I mean? My Lord, if that's what happened in the pulpit and the leaders, what is happening in the pews? Listen to Peter. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive Heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Second Peter 2, 1 and 2. And this has been the warning from the beginning. It's happening in our generation. We see it more so to, towards the end of times. And uh, you, you have to have your eyes closed not to see it. Now, we come to the third part here, and, and we'll just see a lot of this with Amos. And we've seen it through his book, as well as Hosea and Joel. But we come to the third and final division of the book of Amos that contains five visions given to Amos regarding the judgment of Israel. Chapter 7, 8, and 9. Our text will cover only three of the five visions. The five vision judgments are progressive and intensifying in severity. Israel's going into captivity. And so what we want to do is look at the prophet Amos to learn about the person used by God, which is characterized by three things. Let me read our text here. <clears throat> Chapter 7. He says, Thus uh, the Lord God showed me, behold, I, he formed a swarm, uh, a locust swarming at the beginning of the lake crop. Indeed, it was the lake crop after the king's mowing. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the lamb, that I said, O Lord God, forgive, I pray, all that Jacob might stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray, all that Jacob might stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Thus he showed me. Behold, the Lord stood on a wall, made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And he said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear his words. For thus Amos has said, 
Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. And then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, there eat bread, there prophesy. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. And then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spoil against or spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by a survey line. And you shall die in a defiled land. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. Quite a chapter. The person God uses is characterized by the three following things. The person who has a heart for God... And people, verse 1 through 9. Secondly, the person who has a heart not easily discouraged, verse 10 through 13. And thirdly, the person who has a heart to know he is called and sent, verse 14 through 17. So we begin with the person who has a heart for God and people. This is basic, this is foundation, verse 1 through 9. Notice verse 1 through 3. God came to Amos. And spoke to him. Amos received the first vision of judgment here from God. The vision of locusts. The origin of the vision, take note, was divine. Thus the Lord God showed me. The exact prophetic formula appears three times. 7-1, Identical. Yahweh Elohim reveals the vision is while Amos was awake. That's a vision. When you're asleep, it's a dream. And we've seen the distinction between that and Scripture. The locusts indicate divine judgment from God, not a natural phenomenon. Behold, he formed locust swarms. This is God bringing it in judgment. As mentioned before, and like the time of Joel, in Joel 1.4, Amos 4.9 is mentioned it also. And the word behold is an expression calling one's attention to observe and to perceive and to gaze, to grab the whole aspect of it. God was bringing judgment. The time is clearly stated at the beginning of the late crop. Notice that in verse 1. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowing. The beginning, um, the late crop was the final harvest gathering before winter. Uh, June, April, May, June, something like that. And after the king mowing refers to the king's tax taken from the harvest, he would take his first dip, that. And then the locusts devouring the rest of the harvest would leave the people without any food. And this is what grips Amos. Amos was moved with a heart of compassion for the sinful people in verse 2 and 3. He sees this vision. Amos saw the devastating effect of the locusts on the vision, and he, and he said, and so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land. So all of a sudden he's looking at the vision. He sees the king's taking his part. And the, and, and the locusts, the grasshoppers are eating the rest of it. And, and he's there. Oh, pray, Lord. That I said, oh, Lord God, forgive, I pray. This is his prayer. He's interceding for the sinful people. He doesn't hate Israel, but he hates their sin. He has compassion for them. The motive is all oh, that Jacob might stand. That he wouldn't be totally destroyed in this judgment. And the reason is given for he is small, insignificant in comparison to God. I mean, here's a sinful man. Everything's in orbit. The planets, the moon, everything else, they come up. And here's a man like this with his fist up in the air. It's like you standing out in your backyard. you got an ant mount. And you get up there and you're looking over. And one little land's going like this. And you just step on it. Insignificant. Judgment can at times be averted by intercession. Amos pleads for forgiveness as Abraham interceded for Lot in Genesis 18. The effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much, James 5.16 tells us. So we are to pray for those that we know are Christians and they're back in the world. They're corrupting God's word. They're messing up their life. We need to pray for them. 
Notice God responded and withheld his hand of judgment as Amos heard the words. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord Yahweh. So the word relented does not mean a change of mind in the same way that we use it with man, that he repents. For God's not a man that should repent. Has he not said it? Will he not do it in Numbers 23, 19, in 1 Samuel 15, 29? So what does it mean? The word relent when it comes to God means that he was pained. He was grieved in terms of his pity and compassion by his sovereign long-suffering and patience, not willing that any should perish. But we have a problem of human language. How am I going to explain that God does something different when I only have the word to change and repent? So the problem is not so much with God, it's with our ability to communicate the things of God apart from human language. Very, very difficult because we only know that on the human level. But the scripture is very clear that God does not repent as you and I repent. Okay. Now, notice God came and spoke to Amos again in verse 4 and 6, down through 6. Amos received the second vision of judgment from God, the vision of fire now. The same phrase is used to indicate the divine source of the vision. The Lord God showed me. So, here again, the revelation identified as a conflict of fire. The preface is, behold, once again, take note of this, mark it well, perceptibly, and fire literally uh, here is literal, just as the other judgments are. God has shown him judgments that he was going to bring about, but then he reneges, as we see on a few of these, okay? Fire is used figuratively often of God's judgment. Hebrews 12, 29 says he is a consuming fire, but it still indicates a literal judgment that comes forth from him. He's a holy God. Now, the severity of the fire is described, notice, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. The great deep refers to the subterranean waters the pagans believed their gods control. And therefore, Proving them to be no gods because they would not be able to quench the judgment of God if it did come. Okay? And if you read Isaiah from chapter 40 to the end, that's one of the things he says. I'm God. There's no one else. I've cruised up and down the universe. And if I've never bumped into any other God. But if you're out there, tell me the things before they happen. So when they happen, I can declare you God. No one's ever taken them up on it. <laughs> Simple. Now, the territory being devoured literally cleaned up. By the fire, just devoured. You've seen mountains and places where there's been fire and it's just devastated, completely bare. Nothing survives. Now, he was moved again with the heart of compassion to intercede for the sinful people before God in verse 5 and 6. Amos is grieved and pained by the judgment he was seen. Once again, Amos intercedes to avert judgment in, by God because he's merciful. He says, then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray. The motive once again is that all that Jacob might stand. And the reason for he is small is repeated, insignificant in comparison to the omnipotent God. That can just wipe out anything. He speaks things into existence. He will speak them into fire to melt the whole heavens and the earth. Notice God responded again, withholding his hand of judgment. Amos hearing the words, so the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Verse 6, the fact that God relented once again is not a contradiction. He doesn't change his mind like you and I. He's grieved, he's pain, and by his long suffering, he's sovereign to not bring this judgment. The ultimate judgment will come. Now look at verse 7 and 9. God came and spoke to Amos a third time now. Amos received the third vision of judgment from God, the vision of a plumb line. A plumb line is interesting. I use it often. I always say the plumb line is never crooked. And by the way, the plumb line is from heaven to earth. It isn't east to west. Kind of interesting, isn't it? It hangs from heaven down. And it measures every one of us. Notice Amos received this third vision, and the prophetic formula is different now, but still identifies a vision from God. 
Thus he showed me. All these things are coming from God. Um, Amos didn't smoke some mushrooms or anything else. He's, he's, he's a man of God receiving the revelation from God. And um, once again, he's called to be attentively perceptive by the word behold. And the vision revealed the judgment by a plumb line to measure how out of line Israel was with God's word and his holiness. The Lord stood on the wall made with a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. It is God who measures every person. And here the Lord is Adonai, capital L, small O-R-D, equivalent to kurios in the Greek, Lord, Master, instead of Yahweh Elohim like the other ones. Standing by the wall, constructed with a plumb line. The wall is Israel. She was untrue and had deviated from God. This is shown throughout the scripture, this illustration of a plumb line. Jeremiah 31, 38 through 39, Isaiah 28, 17, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and others. The plumb line reveals God's standard, his word, and how crooked people are from that standard. Now notice Amos was then tested by God about his perception spiritually about this vision. In verse 8, Yahweh asked Amos, And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. <laughs> Good. By, he does this to Isaiah too. Read Isaiah and other prophets. Yahweh revealed to Amos the judgment was inevitable. Listen to the words. And the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them any more. Sad words. God dropped his plumb line and it revealed the crookedness of his people. They did not measure up to his word. God declared he would bring judgment on them. I will not pass by them anymore. There is a line we don't know where. When God, when man crosses that, God and all his love can do nothing and will do nothing. Now, you know when that person crosses that line, you know you can't blame God. Okay? Because he's the epitome of love and patience and kindness. The problem's with us. The absence of intercession here does not imply that Amos was not moved with compassion to intercede for the sinful people uh, once again. But he understood and accepted the word of God that judgment would not be averted. And there comes a time when you and I, we pray, we pray, and, and, and it could be that God tells us. He told Jeremiah, don't pray for these people anymore. Three times he told him. And he said, Jeremiah, if you pray one more time, I'm not going to speak to you. And God may allow us to see some people that God gives up. And it's hard. But we agree with God because he cannot make a mistake. Notice verse 9. Amos was told the particular places to fall under the judgment of God. The high place of Isaac shall be desolate, referring to the pagan shrines of idolatry by syncretism. They were saying they were still were Yahweh. Oh, yeah, we know Yahweh, this and that, you know. People today, oh, I'm a Christian. They're out there drinking. They're out there getting loaded and fornicating and partying. And, yeah, you know. Wow. The word desolate means empty and abandoned. You have many of the shrines mentioned like that. These practices in 1 Kings 3, 2 Kings 23, Isaiah 16, Hosea 10, 8. Many other places. Next, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. The sanctuaries refers to the idol temples of Israel in Dan, Bethel, and Gilgal that we've read in uh, Hosea, Joel, and here. And, and um, places of spiritual and sexual fornication sanctioned as fertility cults, very popular. And today you have much of that going on and different things. Now, the word waste means to be in ruins. And certainly we have records of this in 1 Kings 12, 29, Amos 4, 4. All these things that were going on. Thirdly, he says, I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. Yahweh, I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam for the evil committed in the sight of the Lord. Second Kings 15.10 is one example. There are many others. The prophet Elijah was called. Prophet Elijah. Elisha. Many of them to declare the evil of the people of God. 
Now, God is going to use Assyria as a rod of his anger. 2 Kings 14.24, Isaiah 5.20, to chasten them. But remember, Habakkuk had a problem, too, with God. God he told that, God, what, what are you doing, guys? He said, well, I'm going to use Babylon to chasten my people. I can't believe it. I told you you wouldn't believe it. And we have a problem with that. Do we have a problem that God will use Russia to chasten us? Iran? Do you have a problem with that? We've turned our back on God. We've asked him to leave our nation. We've asked him to leave our educational system. We've asked him to leave us alone. I think he's taking us up on it. He's honored our wishes, our requests. You know, in the horse and buggy day, there was this bride and groom that just got married, and they had to go off the long ways in the wilderness to their cabin for their honeymoon. And as they were going on, they had traveled about an hour, and all of a sudden the horse galloped up, and, you know, the wife's real close to him, and just, you know, starry eyes, and he goes, that's one. And she goes, and they're going off more. A little while later, the horse gallops again. He says, that's two. And she looks, she goes, two, one, two. And then all of a sudden the horse gallops again the third time. He just stops the buggy, gets out, takes his gun on, shoots the horse. She goes, what are you doing? We're out in the middle of nowhere. He goes, that's one. Now, that's not God. God doesn't judge us like that, okay? When God says that's three, it's because he's gone way, way beyond. He can never be accused of being impatient. How do you know if you have a heart for God? Let me give you some things. If you accept and believe and obey the word of God, you have a heart for God. If you seek God daily, not just when you're in trouble. If you gather with the church consistently and are serving, part of it, reaching out to others, not just turning inward to yourself. If you live your life by the standard of God's word, not the culture or man's standards. Those are just some of the ways you know if you have a heart of God. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. All the things that are necessary and needful and that God knows are best for us. How do we know if we have a, a heart for people? People are a pain. You're a pain. I'm a pain. We're bad news. As long as everything's okay, we can all, oh, we hug, we smile, bless you, brother. But just have something go wrong. <laughs> if you have compassion for those in sin, and we're talking about the people of God, certainly the non-believer. Not exalting ourselves above them. If we intercede for those who we know have turned back to the world, living in sin, there are many people who have come to this church who are in the world right now. The ones we know we pray for. If we rejoice when we see a person return from a life of sin, and we're so glad that they're reconciled back to God. We don't stand up and say, you're back, huh? Have a seat. Uh-uh. James 5.20 says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner. In the context there, if you read the previous verse, is a Christian who's gone astray. Will turn a sinner from the error of his way, will save a soul from death, not physical death, spiritual death, and cover a multitude of sins. Context, context, context. When's the last time you heard a sermon the Christian can walk away? I think we're probably one of the few churches that teaches that. Everybody else is nice and sealed and tight and no problem, right? <laughs> really? Wow. First Peter 4a says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. We don't publish things. We hide things if they're under the blood of Christ. We don't hide sin, but we cover sin that's under the blood of Christ. We don't talk about it. It's put away. Very, very important. So the person who has a heart for God and people is used by God. Great characteristic. 
Secondly comes verse 10 through 13. The person who has a heart not easily discouraged. There are many things in life to discourage you. And especially as a Christian today. Verse 10 and 11. Amaziah declared false accusations against Amos. Yet he did not let fear grip him. He sent written accusations against Amos. Complaining to Jeroboam the second. Then Amos the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel. Amos, or Amaziah here, means uh, Yahweh is mighty. What a contradiction. He was a high priest of Bethel, one of the pagan worship centers, and he was probably not of the Levitical order because Jeroboam I put the common people over them and it should be no different now. And he probably sent the letter to Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom. Notice his written accusations were two. He said, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. Now, there is no evidence Amos was attempting to stir up a revolution to overthrow um, Jeroboam. Nowhere in the prophecy. And then he said, the land is not able to bear all his words. Two accusations. The people were in the northern kingdom were uncomfortable. They were tired of hearing Amos. They didn't want to hear judgment was coming. They wanted to hear positive things. You remember those little bread boxes, the promises they sell in Christian bookstores? You're funny, they're all, they're all positive, no negative. Wow. They were tired of Amos. Sometimes people get tired of you telling them they need to repent. They get tired of your smile, of your peace. What are you so happy about, man? I don't know. The words of Amos were a mixture of lies and truth. Look at verse 11. Amos was falsely accused of saying Jeroboam would die by the sword. Some believe this is not a lie. But that Amaziah concluded this in view of the prophetic uh, word of captivity. The problem is that the words of Amaziah is a quote of the words of Amos. If you look real closely. The unbeliever or apostate will always slander the man and woman of God to be silent and if need be to kill them. Now, we don't find that here in the United States yet, but it does happen in other nations of the world. Notice Amos was accurately cited. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Assyria brought this to pass in 722 B.C. through Tilgath-Pileser. The captivity and resettlement of Samaria is recorded for us after a three-year siege in 2 Kings 17, the entire chapter. So we have all the history that can be lined up with the prophets. Exactly. Then notice in verse 12 through 13, Amaziah declared to Amos to stop declaring the word of God, but he was not intimidated. In verse 12, then Amaziah commanded Amos to leave the northern kingdom. Go, you seer, real sarcastic, arrogant, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread, there prophesy. I can hear him. Amaziah insinuated Amos was a professional and a hireling and he should return to Judah and prophesy for bread and drink there. He was no hireling. Judah was his place of origin, if you remember, from Tekoa in the cities of Uzziah, chapter 1, verse 1 tells us. God sent him to the north. A seer is another word for a prophet who could see the future revealed by God, not by his own ability. But God would communicate the vision, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of them. Notice Amaziah commanded Amos to stop proclaiming the judgment of God at their worship centers. See, these people don't like it. It's bad business for them. You see, when I, when I share and, and name names in the pulpit, people get upset. Why? Why do you get, would you get upset at yourself if you warn your son and daughter about 
a, a kid they were hanging around that's gotten in trouble and you don't want them to hang around, you give them their name, would that make you a bad person? No, it shows you love your son and daughter. If you don't warn, if you, if you are into the ecumenical movement where let's just love one another and let's not make a difference, then you're part of the problem. You better make distinctions. Samuel was called a seer. The prophet Gad was called David's seer. 1 Samuel 9, 9. 1 Chronicles 21, 9. Notice Amaziah commanded Amos to stop proclaiming the judgment of God uh, in these worship centers, I said. He says, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. How dare you speak here? This is the king's place. Today, wherever you go, whether it be a school or whatever, they just, you know, oh, no, you can't pray here. Oh, no, you can't bring a Bible. Really? But, but I can come in and pray to a rock, contemplate my navel, and they'll think I'm the wisest man in the world. First Kings 12, 28 says, Bethel. House of God, the worship center. That's where he's preaching. It was set up by Jeroboam. House of God was turned to Beth Avon, house of wickedness. First Kings twelve twenty eight, one of the passages. Bethel was the king's sanctuary, temple or tabernacle of false worship. He set it up at the division of the kingdom. After Solomon, through Rehoboam. Bethel was the royal residence, the king's realm, sovereign dominion, representing his authority. When you saw the shrine, it represented the authority of Jeroboam. You see the White House, you see the authority of the president. They go together. Speaking against Bethel was speaking against Jeroboam II. There is no evidence that Amos stopped until God released him. He continued on. We have two more chapters. Many years ago, a young Midwestern lawyer suffered such deep depression that his friends thought it was wise to keep all knives and razors from him. During this time, he wrote, quote, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. He was wrong. He did recover and went up to become one of America's most loved presidents, Abraham Lincoln. Discouraged? Things go bad? Welcome to the club. We live in a fallen world. That's why we come to Christ. You notice Abraham Lincoln after this period and during his presidency, he quoted scripture, he trusted God. That was the solution. How can you handle and how do you handle false accusations by Christians and non-Christians? Do you become discouraged, mad, want to fight in the flesh right away? When they lie about you, about what they say to others. When uh, they twist what you say about the Bible, especially family members that aren't believers, it gets pretty funky. When they think you have to defend yourself and you do so and you make it worse. Now, sometimes you need to clear certain things up and you need to just say, no, that's wrong. Other times, you need to know the best thing is to ignore it. It'll go away by itself. Other things are not even worth taking note of. So some fires, you know, you, you go by and just ignore them. They're going to go out by themselves. The others, you just spit at it. The other one, you step on. And, you know, you, you have to make a decision. Um, if I took everything to heart that I've heard about me through people in the last 35 years... I would have never had time to study and take care of the church. <laughs> it would have been no good for me. 
If a person believes a lie, then they deserve to believe the lie. Whenever um, someone's lying, then if they don't come to you and find out about it, they deserve to believe that lie. Let them go with it. They should be the first to come to you and say, you know, I heard this about you. Can you tell me if this is right or wrong? So the one-on-one back to the individual is the most important thing. You don't just believe a lie, but you go back to the person. This is what I heard about you. Can you tell me if it's true or wrong? Which one is it? First Peter 12, First Peter 2, 11 to 12 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorably among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation, the day God visits them to save them, to convict them. So when they speak of you and slander you, you're to live in such a way to prove them wrong. That when God reaches out to them in salvation, they may remember, yeah, I remember that guy. He used to tell me. And we, we tried to get him, and man, he just, he wouldn't go for it. He's a Christian. Not turning evil for evil, or returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you we're called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. First Peter 3, 9. And so the Christian life is, is certainly, we're not cowards, we're not wimps. We're just God's servants. We're not doormats. We're God's servants. It's just a call that he's got us to. How are you going to do when religious people, atheists, humanists, and liberal progressives tell you not to speak God's word? To them or anyone else. And it's here. How do you handle it? What do you do? Are you going to fold and walk away? Are you going to become fearful and discouraged? Or are you going to be true and faithful to God? Now, I don't want to force myself on anybody and I don't think we should. So I will share the Lord with whoever the Lord opens up to. But once a person tells me, you know, I really don't want to hear about it. No sweat. Let's talk about the weather. I'll keep praying for you. I don't take it personal. They're rejecting Jesus, not you, not me. Get over it. You pray for them. God opens another door, I share with them again. They say, you know, I told you. Okay, sorry. Back off. No big deal, because God saves, not us. First Peter three fourteen through 16 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense, an answer, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Now, Peter's writing the church is suffering. Those dispersed among the Gentiles. The person who has a heart not easily discouraged is used of God. The third characteristic comes in 14 through 17. The person who has a heart knowing he is called and sent. This is very important. Look at verse 14. The prophet Amos revealed his true profession. He responded that he was not in the line of prophets. Listen to the words. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet. His calling by God did not come to him at the start of his life, nor through any technical training in the schools of the prophets that we read about in Kings. His calling was not related to the fact that his father was a prophet. He declared he had two professions. He was a sheep breeder, a herdsman that could also include cattle. And he was also a tender of sycamore tree 
a fruit picker, a fruit gatherer. That's what he did. He had two jobs. Today, many people have two jobs because employer has been pitted against employee and the penalty of Obamacare. So what do they do? They gave you less than 40 hours, so you have to pay for your own because it's cheaper to pay the penalty than to pay your insurance. Some people work three jobs today because they're independent contractors, see? You get rid of the benefits. Here he says, listen, I, I, I did these two things. I was no prophet, not the son of a prophet. But in verse 15, the prophet Amos revealed the time of his call to be a prophet. The call of Amos came as he was shepherding. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. God was the initiator, always the one who called him, not himself. Amos was following the flock, carrying and tending sheep and cattle, possibly, as I said. And so, sometimes I ask people, well, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, all my life. Quit lying. Nobody's known God all their life. And that's a general answer today. There must be a point in time when you know you repented, you accepted Christ, you were aware that you were going to hell and God saved you. You didn't love God all your life. You didn't believe in God all your life. That's a religious person. A Christian knows when they were born again. A Christian knows when they heard the gospel. A Christian knows when they repented. They don't just say, well, you know, I just always have loved God. I'm just so, I'm just so good. No. But you hear that all the time today. Amos knew exactly when God called him. The Lord sent Amos to the north to prophesy to Israel. And the Lord uh, said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. He's doing God's business. He calls them and he sends them. He doesn't call himself or send himself. God spoke personally to Amos and he knew it was God. Listen, Yahweh said to me, you have to know God said to you, you're a sinner, you're under my wrath, and if you don't repent, you will perish. Every person who was born again heard and understood those words. Not one exception. You know, there are about 23 prophets recorded by name in Scripture, besides others that are not named. God called many prophets. God called and sent them, not themselves. Today, many people are calling themselves and sending themselves, and, and they're working the church like an organization, corporate principles, and, and they've got their graphs and all this stuff, and it's all telemarketing and all, everything else, and they can whoop up a whole bunch of people. And their whole claim to fame is, we can, we've got a huge church. Well, hell has more people in heaven. That doesn't make it better. What's your point? Look at 16 and 17. The prophet Amos revealed the judgment against Amaziah now. Okay, he's let him have his say. Now listen, verse 16. These were not the words of Amos in anger or revenge, but the words of God through Amos. He identifies the source as an imperative command, not a suggestion. Now therefore... Hear the words of the Lord. Are you through, Amaziah? All right. Listen up. God wants to tell you something. God quotes back the words of Amaziah to him. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not spout against the house of Israel. The word spout literally means to not drip. It's an insult, sarcastic, referring to the prophecies. God gets him. Every man and woman will give an account for every idle word, the scripture tells us. The words of judgment would include the family Amaziah, way beyond him. Amaziah's wife would be included. Therefore, thus saith the Lord Yahweh, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. You say, wow, why would God do that? Well, because she was part of it, I'm sure. She would become a harlot when the, when the city was taken. She would be raped and violated and then put as a prostitute. That was the custom of the Assyrians. She had to have been guilty with her husband, Amaziah. 
If not, then God is unjust. You remember Korah. Korah, God opened up the earth and Korah was swallowed up and so were his family. Why? Because they were in cahoots with it too. So in other words, God doesn't punish people if they're not guilty. Amaziah's son and daughters would also be included. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. His children also have to have been guilty. They have to have been participating in this. Otherwise, God would be unjust. So there's no problem when you see things like this. Because God's a holy God. Remember, Ezekiel says God doesn't punish the father for the children or the children for the parents, right? Each person is accountable. Look at 17. Amaziah's land would be divided to others. Your land shall be divided by survey line. By Assyria to those left in the land and those transpopulated from other lands. They would take it from him. Amaziah would die in a pagan land. A defiled land, he says. You shall die in a defiled land. In Assyria, or one of the land that transferred him permanently. Because he stood against God. God brought judgment on him, his household. Notice Israel would be conquered and enslaved. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. This is going to be a, an old song to them. But God won't be silenced. This is God now speaking directly. Personally. To Amaziah. 2 Kings 17.6 says in the ninth year of Hoshea. The king of Assyria took Samaria and carried away uh, Israel to Assyria. And placed them in Hala. And by the harbor. The river of Gozan. And the cities of the Medes. They would transpopulate them. Discourage them. Mix them with the people. You remember Jeremiah had a very difficult ministry. God says, I've made you an iron pillar, a brazen wall. Don't be confounded before their faces, lest I dismay you. Three times God tells him, do not pray for these people or I will not speak to you. He was accused as a traitor, discouraging the people of the wall as he was going to Anathoth. But he was going to go redeem some land and they accused him of being a traitor. Difficult, difficult time. Jeremiah 20, verse 9 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Speaking about God. Jeremiah said, I'm done. I'm not going to speak. Every time I get in trouble, every time I speak before you. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, but I could not. He had to blurt out. He had to tell the people what God was saying. He couldn't hold it within his heart. Is that your life? Is that it? Are you committed to God and his word that regardless of what people say, you're going to declare God's word? None of the ministries or ministers on staff here were raised as Christians, nor were they sons of pastors. Mario was a taper for drywalling. Tony was a painter and he worked at a canning factory. Henry used to work at the Greek theater. Diego was a private investigator. Fernando worked with tooling and machines. Sam was a video and color correctionist. I worked at Prana Market, and construction and cement, uh, taught school, had my own kung fu studio. We were, we were in the world. We were out to lunch. And God called us. Amazing. And we responded. Time is the test of all things, ladies and gentlemen. Not numbers. Consistency. Your children, parents, are looking to see if you're really what you say you are. For all your life. Consistency. Listen to Paul. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commands the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in this earthen vessel, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. 1 Corinthians 4, 5-7. through 7. 
The key is that this vessel, remember Joshua or Gideon? The vessel, they put the light, the lantern in there. And they were all to yell at the same time, the sword of the Lord of Gideon, and break the vessel that the light may be seen. Here's the problem. We are so enamored with this vessel, we want people to look at us. Oh, look at me. No, this vessel must be broken so people see Jesus only. You understand? You don't bring attention to yourself. The only way they, this is going to work if you let people see Jesus. You give them the Lord. No one else. I did not pick Alhambra to start the church nor to move to Pasadena. God did. God spoke to me very clearly about continuing the study that I started in George Gutierrez's house in March of 1980. And we did so. First Sunday morning service was in July. I established the church there at the YMCA on Main Street. Went to Masonic Lodge. We went to Seventh-day Adventist Church and, and other places. And we ended up in a cockroach-infested theater there on Maine and Garfield or Atlantic. It's not there anymore. That was till 1986. So six and a half years, we did tent ministry all around. And then God brought us here, and this building was for sale. And they told us that we turned it down once before. I don't remember. And uh, we walked through it. We had 300 people, and God gave us this building with 300 people and secured a secular loan at the bank, and they, and they, um, and they um, sealed the, the loan. They locked it up so it wouldn't fluctuate. That was the Lord. That was October 1st, 1986. And then the payment, the whole thing was due in a balloon payment in five years, a million, 80,000. Whoops. So we refi, we took some out, we redid the parking lot. And then God took care of us and paid it all. And then in 94, we thought the Lord was leading us to build a gym. And before we put the key in, it was paid cash. Now, am I saying this to boast to you? Am I saying that it's my faith? No, it is not. I am telling you what God does if God's in a work. There's no glory to the pastor. There's no glory to the people. It's to God. If we yield to God and obey God, then God does the work. Simple. No boasting, no nothing. We glory in the Lord. How good and what he has done. I am shocked the most of every one of you. I'm shocked the most of every one of you. And God has provided for us for 35 years. We believe where God guides, he provides. That was Pastor Chuck saying. I believe in, I've lived in, and we will continue to live in. Many of the Calvaries are not anymore. I will continue until the day I die or the Lord comes home. When I'm gone, you can do whatever you want. But I will continue. Listen to Isaiah 6, 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. That's God looking for. Men and women. He calls, He sends, He anoints. We attempt to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God without compromise. And we will never bow our knee to the political correctness of our day. Pressure to put God's word aside or to be silenced. That you have our word on. Jesus said this, But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say fear him. Luke twelve five. If you don't fear God more than man, you're just a weather vane. It just depends which way the wind's blowing. You're full with it. Peter put it this way, first Peter four, fifteen through seventeen. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory God, glorify God in this matter, for the time has come for judgment must begin. In the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Oh my. What a horrific verse. 
the person who has a heart to know he or she is called and sent is used by God. Do you know God has called you here and sent you here? Then he's anointed you to do something. If you've chosen just to come here and, you, and you're not sure God sent you, time we'll see what happens with you. God's the one that's important, not us, ladies and gentlemen. He initiates, we respond. And so, these are the three characteristics evident in the life of Amos, revealing the person that God uses. The person who has a heart for God and people. The person who has a heart not easily discouraged. The person who has a heart to know he or she is called and sent. Three basic things, but so important. I tell you, if I had paid attention to so many things in the 35 years I've been your pastor, I would not be here. Because <laughs> as people, we're not that nice. We just aren't. When we're nice, it is an absolute miracle. <laughs> an absolute miracle. We're yielding to God to be more like him. And so that should be your goal as well as mine, continually. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, and goodness. We thank you for your word, for your grace. And Lord, we pray that you continue to use us. I pray for every person here, Lord. And Father, we pray for those who are not here any longer and they're in the world. You convict them and they come back. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sin. God alone is the one who can let you know your condition. Then he makes the offer of salvation, forgiveness of your sins, if you trust that Jesus died in your place. Recognizing he made that payment at the cross as he died and he rose from the dead. If you believe that, then you can call upon him and Repent and he'll save you. But you alone can repent. He will not repent for you. If you want to ask Christ to forgive you, then right now this is your prayer to him. Right where you sit or over the, well, no internet today. But um, you can accept him right now and he will save you. Absolutely forgive you of all your sins. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision, we want to welcome you to the family. Brother, to my right, your left, he would love to talk with you, give you a Bible absolutely free, share some important thing for your world. You'll be free to leave, but don't leave here the same way you came in. Pray. What has God called you to do? Are you yielding to his spirit, his gifts? Are you being used of God? Uh, the time is short. As we look at the world and all that's going on, no man knows the day or the hour. So we always are looking for Jesus to return and we keep our eyes focused. Everything seems to be lining up. This next year is going to be a very, very critical year for the world. With these elections and all that's going on in Syria and in Iran and with Russia. And China is in there now too. Boots on the ground. Okay? So if you read Revelation... Gog and Magog, China, okay, 100,000 strong, 100 million strong, all that stuff's all coming together, okay? So, minister the gospel, pull people out of the fire. Lord comes back, we're going to heaven. There's going to be a very, very, very dark world here. It would be better that you die than live, Jesus said. Never like ever, ever before. We've had some pretty horrible times in human history. Nothing will compare. And so, may God give us wisdom and use us as we yield to him. Any prayer questions, I'll be up here. If you accept the Lord, if you accept the Lord right over there, thank you for coming tonight, 7, 8, and 9. God bless you.